Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. But let's jump into this morning's message. I want to start by reading our passage of Scripture out of John chapter 5, beginning with verse 31. Uh, we have been in a series of, uh, through the Gospel of John, and uh, for a couple of years now, our approach has been to just open up the Scriptures and kind of walk through biblical books of the Bible, uh, see what they have to say to us, how they speak to our hearts, and then kind of take short breaks here and there for different series, uh, but by and large, just be walking through the Scriptures together. And so today, we're in John chapter 5, and I want to read verses 31 through 47, and uh, you can follow along with me. It'll be up on your screen or in your Bibles or... Um, Uh, Any way that you read the scriptures, uh, you can follow along. Uh, But here it is, John chapter 5, beginning with verse 31, all the way through the end of the chapter. It says this. Now, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who uh, testifies in my favor. And I know that this testimony about me is true. For you have sent to John, and he has testified to to the truth. Uh, Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works of the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one that he has sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Now, I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you, uh, for you, I know that you uh, do not have the love of God in your hearts, for I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think that I will accuse you before your father, for your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Uh, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, in these moments together, we pray uh, that you would open our hearts, uh, that you would illuminate our minds, not just for wisdom and for understanding, uh, but Lord, for the application of your word. And so, God, may your Holy Spirit be freely at work in this place uh, to translate my words into precisely what each person needs to hear. God, uh, meet us where we're at. And, uh, Lord, we love you. We give you thanks. We give you praise. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, if your Bible has red letters in it, you'll notice that our reading today uh, is a continuation of of the red letters that have, in fact, been going on for several verses. Uh, And if you'll remember from last week, what Jesus has just finished talking about uh, is about the unity between himself and the Father. And while talking to us about that, he utilized a teachable moment uh, in order to show us that when we believe in him, uh, we are in fact moved from death into life. Uh, That is to say that we experience a, a spiritual resurrection in our hearts uh, and that spiritual resurrection serves to give credibility and hope to our future hope, uh, which is not that our souls would float off into a far off uh, 
disembodied heaven, but rather it affirms and gives credibility to the hope that one day when God makes all things new, we will ourselves be bodily resurrected into God's new world. And so Jesus's primary point that he's just finished talking about is this spiritual new life in us uh, finds its completion or finds its conclusion in our bodily resurrection. Uh, and that is to say, then, that our, our future hope of our bodies made new, of this world made new, uh, what Revelation 20 talks about, where there will be no more death or crying or tears or pain, all of this that our hope is wrapped up in, Jesus says, that begins in us right here and right now. And so we shouldn't just relegate our hope purely to a future hope, but rather what Jesus wants to do is he wants to pull our hope into the present and say this thing that happens in us when we are brought from death to life uh, is the continuation of uh, the new life that we already possess. And so after then, that teachable moment where he shows us the, the, the hope, the uh, robust and full-bodied hope of resurrection, he continues by talking about the unity between himself and the Father in the passage that we just read. Now, he does us a favor this time because this time when he talks about the unity between him and the Father, he does it in the first person, not in the third person, which he did uh, in the verses previous. And anytime Jesus is referring to himself in the third person, it just feels really awkward. Can we agree? Right? And so it just makes it a lot easier when he's saying that he's using I language, first person language. And his point this time is to build on the unity that he has just finished talking about, but he wants to, he wants to give just a little bit of a different flavor to that. And he wants to say this time, uh, he has a testimony that he has, uh, the father who testifies for him or on his behalf. Uh, take another look at verse 36. It says, I have testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I am doing now testify that the Father has indeed sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself testified concerning me. In other words, what Jesus is trying to say is that John the Baptist came and testified on his behalf, and he prepared the way for the ministry of Jesus. And we read about that in in a lot of the Gospels, that John the Baptist comes as one who prepares the way for Jesus. And Jesus now says, now that I've come, I have one who, in fact, is even greater than John, who is testifying on my behalf. And that person is, in fact, God the Father himself. And then he gets to the real kicker. And this is what I want to focus on here this morning. It's found in verse 39. He says to the religious leaders of the day, and I want you to put on, I want you to imagine how this must have come across. If you were a Jewish religious leader, you had spent your life dedicated to not only the study, but the memorization of the scriptures, particularly what we have come to know as the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. So your entire life has been spent studying, pouring over, in fact, memorizing the words of scripture. And I want you to hear what Jesus says by putting yourself in that place. Here's what Jesus says in verse 39. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You know, following these verses, Jesus even furthers the punch, and he says, you didn't uh, believe what Moses had to say. So how could you believe what I have to say? Because, in fact, Moses was talking about me. 
What's going on in, these, in this passage of Scripture and in these verses in particular is that Jesus is pointing out the most terrible of all ironies. <laughs> Jesus is essentially saying to them, if there's, essentially saying, if there is any word that Jewish leaders should have believed, it was the written word of Scripture, particularly those that were written by Moses. They studied these Scriptures in order to find the source of eternal life. But when the Scriptures pointed to Jesus... As the way to that life, many were unwilling to accept. And so I want you to hear the irony of that. That Jesus, that that they're pouring over scripture. They're going to scriptures in order to find eternal life. And Jesus is saying to them, if you go to the scriptures and you come to any other conclusion, but they accept that they come to me and point to me, then you will never find life in them alone. It's almost as if the word of God who has been made flesh, is saying to them, the words of God are meant to point to the word of God. That in scripture alone, Jesus is saying, we cannot find life. In other words, they, these religious, this group of religious leaders believed that they could possess life simply by diligently studying the scriptures alone. And what made these leaders feel accepted or worthwhile or even secure before God was that they knew their Bible and that they were confident that they had embraced the only true Bible-based beliefs. You could say it this way. What they were trying to do is find life from what they believed about God rather than from God. I want to say that again. You could say that these religious leaders were trying to find life from what they believed about God, not just from God. Now, I want you then to notice Jesus' response. When Jesus corrects the religious leaders, he doesn't say anything about the rightness or the wrongness of their belief. When we get to the, to the focus of what we're, we're looking at, verse 39, and Jesus is correcting uh, the, the religious leaders, notice then that he doesn't say anything about the rightness or the wrongness of their belief, but rather he addresses how they believe it. He was trying to get them to see that all of the scriptures were pointing to him, the true source of life. And that there is no life in simply knowing the Bible. And there is no life in simply having Bible-based belief unless those things lead to life himself. Are you with me? Let me say that again. Are you with me? (laughs) There is no life in the scriptures all by themselves except for for the purpose that they, how much they lead to him or to the degree to which they lead to him. And I would say that uh, much of the division in the church right now, uh, in, over the last several hundred years, in fact, is because the truth is we have largely fell victim to the same irony as these religious leaders. We study the scriptures looking for a doctrine, a set of beliefs, uh, an easy answers that we think, uh, that because we think this is where we will find life. And the truth is, is we, we slip into a thinking uh, that life is found only in right belief. We slip into thinking that life is found only in right belief. And this problem becomes particularly acute given the context of the global church where in large part it seems as though that the number one heresy of modern church is wrong belief. To which wrong belief is always interpreted as believing differently than me. 
right? If you think differently than me, if you believe differently than me, then how quick we are to throw each other into the camp called heresy. (laughs) And we say, oh man, the number one thing is you have to possess right belief. You need right thinking. And I believe that this passage spoken to religious leaders in the company of the disciples by Jesus uh, all those years ago is, is just as profound and just as prophetic to us today. Because in a culture that turns different thinking into heresy, it's really easy to believe that right belief or being certain of belief will lead to faith but in, or will lead to life. But in fact, this is not true. And in fact, this cannot be true. Because there's no life in doctrine. There is only life in Christ. And just to illustrate uh, what I'm talking about, a lot of times when we say, uh, in, the, in the midst of a, a challenge or a struggle in our life where we really need to have a lot of faith, and we say to one another, you need to have more faith, what we often are actually talking about is what you need to be is more certain of your beliefs. W- what you need to do is sort of just uh, ground in to how you believe. Uh, But remember, the object of faith is not a a, a particular doctrine. The object of our faith is the person of Jesus Christ. And so I want us to begin shifting our thinking that when we are in a position in our life, when we really need to have more faith, let's not think about that as I need a greater degree of certainty in a particular set of doctrines, but rather let's go to this and understand it this way. What I need is greater trust in the character of Jesus. What I need is to begin to trust more and more that Jesus is, in fact, who he says he is. So I'm trusting and I'm putting my faith in the person and the character of a person, not in a particular set of doctrines about that person. Does that make sense? And so often when we talk about our faith, what we're really talking about is certainty of belief. And I believe that what Jesus wants to say to us is that life is not found in certainty of belief or a set of doctrines, but life is found purely in Christ alone. In fact, listen to what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth. He's talking to them and he's addressing uh, division in the church, division a lot of times over doctrine and how people believe. And this is what, in fact, he says. He says, you can possess all knowledge, but without love, you are nothing but a clanging symbol. In other words, you're just making noise. And so let's pretend for a moment that you were able to grab a hold of all truth and you possessed perfect biblical belief. You understood it. You could explain it. You could even teach it to others. And you understood all truth and possessed all truth to such a degree that that you could call out heresy in even its most subtle forms because you were perfectly knowledgeable. Let's pretend for a moment that that is in fact the case. So you have been endowed now with perfect knowledge of all biblical truth. Now, if you could do that, but you, could only, but you only did it in order to gain status or you only did it to gain prestige or to impress yourself or to impress your friends, or if you used all of that knowledge only to cut others down and point out how they fall short, then Paul's point is this, that all of that knowledge is like a symbol without a band or it's like a song without a melody. All of that knowledge becomes nothing but noise. 
You see, what Jesus is wanting to point out to the religious leaders, and I think this is such a, a, a good word for us today, um, is that the scriptures point to him. Uh, if you want a good sort of biblical hermeneutic, that's, that's a fancy word for how we read the scriptures. Uh, if we want a good biblical hermeneutic, then we need to make sure that that biblical hermeneutic is the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, That is to say that all of the Old Testament is leading us and moving us and foreshadowing and predicting and and leading us toward the coming of Christ. And then then we read the Gospels and we hear about his life and his ministry and his his death and his resurrection. And then all of that that comes afterward with with the epistles and the apocalyptic literature and everything else is pointing back to this central moment of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of the scriptures are either pointing forward to Christ or pointing backward to Christ, because absolutely he is the center of our faith and where our life is found. And so the scriptures point us to the person of Jesus, which means that we need to go to the scriptures in order to know Jesus, not just to know about Jesus. And there's an important distinction. Now what happens is, is there's actually a progression. In order to truly know Jesus, we need to know about Jesus, right? And that's what we do in, in kids' Sunday school, or that's what we do when we're brand new to faith, is we open up the Gospels and we start reading, and we start entering into the wonder and the mystery and the awe of the story of this person who lived so long ago, and yet now still there are communities gathering all over the world in his name. We first begin to learn uh, learn who Jesus is by learning about Jesus. But listen to me, our spiritual grunt, growth gets stunted. I almost said our spiritual growth gets grunted. And that may be also true, but our spiritual growth gets stunted if we stop at just knowing about Jesus. And don't ever move on to really know Jesus. To illustrate uh, again, this point that this can in fact be true, that you can, have, uh, you can know all about Jesus but not have life in him, is there are all kinds of people who uh, profess uh, atheism or agnosticism or all kinds of stuff, agnostic, they're, they're like all kinds of things, and yet they know all kinds of stuff about the Bible. They know all kinds of facts about Jesus, but they haven't found their life in him. And so it just as much as it's true for uh, the agnostic or the atheist, it's just as much true for Christians. If we stop at just knowing about Jesus, then there's a good chance we might be trying to find our life from a particular set of beliefs or a particular set of doctrines. In fact, if all we do is know about Jesus then I think that at some point we're liable to think that we have everything figured out. We might say, oh, I've heard this story. I know these facts. Um, I, can, I can say all kinds of, uh, I can know all the genealogies and I can do all of this and I, and I know tons and tons of facts. And then we might think, we might come to believe that we have everything figured out. But here's what happens. If we come to a place in our life of of practicing faith and we come to a place where we feel like we have everything figured out, I want you to hear me. We We are so prone then to remake God in our image. 
if we get to a point where we think that we just have everything figured out, we're really prone to just begin to remake God in our image. And by that I mean we begin to say that God thinks the way that I think. God sees the world the way that I see the world. God believes the way that I do because after all, I have everything figured out. I have all the facts straight. I have all the doctrines figured out. I've got this whole thing, uh, I've got this whole thing just whipped and figured out. It's good. I'm good to go. And then what happens then is we tend to uh, place our set of beliefs, our worldview, in fact, on God himself. Now this becomes dangerous. It becomes a dangerous spiral then because then we bring all of those preconceived notions to the scriptures so that the scriptures only serve to affirm our own thought process. Everything is clean and has easy answers. In fact, I would... um, I would just say to you, when was the last time that you engaged with a, with a belief that you didn't already agree with? When was the last time that you began to just see something new in the scriptures that began to expand your view of who God is and in the ministry of Jesus? I remember the, the first time this happened to me was while I was in seminary. And I had always read the scriptures that every time Matthew, and Matthew is the gospel that talks about this the most, but every time that Matthew talked about the kingdom of God, I, I, I thought it was just a substitute for heaven, you know, that place that we go uh, when we die. And then I had a seminary professor say to me, every time that you see the, the phrase kingdom of God in the gospel of Matthew, I want you to write above it the reign of God or the rule of God. And all of a sudden, it opened up a whole new world of, of thought and understanding. And it, and it wasn't that I was just taking a full dive into heresy, but rather my, my faith and the boundaries of my faith were beginning to expand based on who God is and his, own, his truth revealed to me through the Spirit and through good teaching. And so I, I want to just say to you that if, there's, if it's been a while since you've had a belief just kind of stretched and, and maybe something pushed the boundaries, there, there might be a chance that you've come, come into a place where you feel like, hey, I've got everything figured out. I'm good to go. Um, but I, I would submit to you that I think that's a dangerous place to be because as soon as we th- think we have everything figured out, then we're liable to, to remake God in our own image. And then that leads to a spiral of how we read Scripture. And then we get to a certain level, a, a, a level of certainty uh, that can often give birth to, well, legalism or fundamentalism. In fact, it's, it's this process of thought that says that anyone who doesn't agree with me is not only wrong, but they are not trustworthy. And man, I, I just pray that as a community, we won't get to a place where we come across someone who believes differently than us. And then we say, because I believe differently than you, not only are you wrong, but you, you can't even be trusted. I think that's dangerous ground because this is seeing scripture the words on the page as an end in themselves. And when the scripture just becomes an end in themselves, and it's, the scriptures aren't there to lead us to Jesus, to the life of Jesus, uh, and they're just there to, to gain, give us information, then a lot of times information is misunderstood as ammunition. <laughs> and so when we do this, it's very easy to turn the Bible into a sword used to cut people down. You can tell them all the ways that they are wrong, misled, or incorrect. You can kindly inform them that they aren't as informed as you. (laughs) You can condemn their motives. You can condemn their actions, question their motives, assassinate their character, all stamped with a nice Bible verse. 
And you can use actually the scriptures to justify anything you want. But I want you to hear me. When you do this, we are not doing God's work. We are doing the work of the Satan, whose name means the accuser. Or, and some of you are like, I thought preaching was supposed to be good news. (laughs) Or, we could read the scriptures and turn to these words so that we can come to know Jesus. So that we can see his heart. So that we can see his character. In fact, if we allow the scriptures to point us to the endless depths of the nature and character of who God is in Christ, then instead of moving in the direction of thinking that we have everything figured out, we'll be led in the direction of realizing how much we simply do not know. And so legalistic certainty will be replaced by holy wonder that seeks to discover more and more of who God is. Let me give you an example that illustrates the fact that I think that we have uh, fallen into the same irony as the religious leaders that Jesus was talking to. Have you ever heard someone say, man, I love Jesus, but I'm not so sure about the church. If, if you've heard that, then there's a pretty good chance that what they know about the church and the expression of the body of Christ is that the body of Christ just felt like, hey, we got everything figured out. We're going to use the Bible to tell you how you're misled, tell you how you're misinformed, how you can't be trusted. And then when folks like that go to the scriptures and they read about the life, death, and ministry and resurrection of Jesus... And they say, wait a second. I don't know that these two things totally match up. I think there's a good chance that we've become far too comfortable with making faith the same as certainty of belief. And we may have even found our life in doctrine, and not in Christ. And today I want to call us to just make the shift. We can hold particular doctrines, and we do. We can have certain beliefs, and we do. And if you ask me, I've got really strong opinions about pretty much any doctrine you want to talk about. (laughs) Oh, but how many times I have erred in my own life. In, finding, in, in thinking that life is found in the certainty of those doctrines. And I wonder how many times that I have missed community with another person because I was so willing to write them off too quickly because they held beliefs that were different than mine. In fact, as a church, we've tried really hard to form a community surrounded around the pillars of the Christian faith, the beliefs expressed in the creeds, so that you can hold different beliefs or opinions or doctrines about certain things. And we we can say, you know what, that's okay, because every Sunday morning we can still come and gather and find our life at the foot of the cross and in the person of Jesus. 
Because our life isn't found in in the certainty of of particular doctrines. Our life is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And so in some small way, just our gatherings together, our community itself is an embodiment of, of trying to find life in Christ and not in a particular set of beliefs. And I think that's a good thing. And I wouldn't want a church to be any other way. Because what happens when we move from legalistic certainty to a holy wonder that seeks to discover more and more of who God is, what happens is is that in seeing the nature and character of God, we won't be so concerned about cutting people down with our Bible sword as we will be in helping to heal people and set them free. And in fact, we'll be less concerned about pointing out people's sin and, and we will be, in fact, compelled to walk alongside of people and journey with them in their journey from brokenness to restoration. For this is the character of God revealed through Scripture. Jesus, very rarely in his correction, talks to people in such a way that, that, uh, that he's cutting them down. In fact, what you see is the folks that he's most harsh with is the Pharisees. The religious leaders, the folks who think they have everything figured out. But the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, all of these things, all of these situations, Jesus very, very rarely does he come and just use the scripture and the truth as a sword to cut people down. What does he do? He comes alongside of them. He joins them in their journey and brings them from brokenness to restoration. This is the character of God. And we will find it written all over the words of Scripture if we will go to Scripture to find the life of Christ and not just to have our particular doctrines affirmed. And when we do this, the Bible becomes a source of life because it points to life himself. And when we do this, we are doing the work of the Spirit whose name means the advocate, the advocate. Now, I think Christians need to answer a fundamental question about faith. And here's the question. Are we going to use the scriptures to cut others down? Or are we going to see the scriptures pointing us and other folks to Christ for the purpose of restoration and healing and renewal? That's a foundational question that every Christian must address. How will the scriptures function in our life? Will the scriptures function so that we can, in all of our right belief, begin to point other people down and point out all the ways that they're wrong and misled and misinformed? Or can we see the scriptures as pointing to life himself, know the character of God, and then begin to practice the character of God? Using the scripture not as a sword to cut you down, but as a source of life and encouragement. And I would hope that each and every one of us would begin to see the scriptures um, as words that point to the life in Christ. Now, there's a good chance you might hear this message and say, well, there you have it. Pastor Andy says we don't have to study the scriptures. Uh, We just need to have them point us to uh, the person of Jesus Christ. Um, No. (laughs) I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not saying that careful study of the scriptures isn't important. In fact, I would say it is critically important. As long as we allow our study to usher us into the presence of the God who is revealed in its pages. Uh, Theologian and author N.T. Wright says this. He says, to read the Bible in light of Jesus, the Messiah, demands more thought, not less. 
But this thought must always be ready to pass into personal knowledge, into adoration, into prayer, and then back again. Because there will always be more to study. From Scripture to Messiah and back again. And so on to and fro in an upward spiral of understanding. And that's why I said a few moments ago that if we stop at just knowing about Jesus, our spiritual growth will be stunted. But if we just use, if we learn about Jesus in order to know Jesus, in order to enter into a life of prayer where our heart is properly formed, then we grow more and more in an upward spiral of growing into the likeness of Christ. And so church, may we not find life in just a static set of beliefs that kind of lives out here. But may we find life where it is to be found, which is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so our faith is not centered on anything but the person of Jesus. And this is precisely why I end every sermon and why we end every sermon by coming to the table. Because I am not primarily interested in getting you to agree with a particular set of doctrines or set of beliefs as much as I am interested on each Sunday morning that you would have an experience with the presence of the living Christ. And so we come to the table every week to remind ourselves that our faith is centered on a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And so my invitation to you this week is to make sure that you don't pursue right belief more than you pursue Jesus. My invitation is to make sure that you love God, not a doctrine about God. And I invite you to return to the core, the center of our faith, who is in fact the person of Jesus Christ. And so as we gather around the Lord's table today, we come not with our doctrines or our certainties or our platitudes, but we come with open hearts to receive Jesus Christ through the bread and the juice.